Pastor Xavier Reese and the power of prayer. Leonard Ravenhill in his book, White, says this, No man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is plain. The people who are not praying are strained. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many fears, few tears. Much fashion, little passion. Many interferers, few intercessors. Failing here, we fail everywhere. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Henry Ford, Madame Curie, Thomas Edison. History is full of men and women who have made significant contributions to mankind. But what does it take to make an eternal, life-changing contribution? Today, in his study titled, God Answers Prayer, Pastor Xavier talks about the most significant resource available to those who want to impact the world. Let's listen. Isaiah received his commission, as you know, to be a prophet of the nation when he was in the temple and without any doubt while he was praying. And when he realized the corruption of his own person and the sin of his own life that separated him from God, and he acknowledged it, God cleansed him. He said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eye has seen the King, the Lord of hosts, Isaiah 6, 5. It was the year King Uzziah had died, remember. And very possibly Isaiah had his eyes on the king, and until God removed the earthly king, then he saw the true king. Isaiah was never the same. The prophet Isaiah then heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Speaking of the Trinity. And Isaiah said, Here am I. Send me. Isaiah not only was sent to tell the people about their sin, but to intercede for the nation due to the fact that there was no intercessor. But notice that the prophet Isaiah has faithfully pleaded for God's mercy over the sinful nation in the last two chapters, chapters 63 and 64. And he ends his intercession by asking this question to God at the end of chapter 64, verse 12. Will you hold your peace and afflict us very severely? God proceeds to give his response in the following two chapters. What we want to do is focus on the first 16 verses, which gives us a threefold response to the prophet Isaiah. Let me read these verses. I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here am I. Here am I, to a nation that was not called by my name. I have stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in the way that is not good, according to their own thoughts, of people who provoke me to anger continually to my face, who sacrifice in gardens and burn incense on altars of brick, who sit among the graves and spend the night in the tombs, who eat swine flesh and the broth of abominable things in their vessels, who say, Keep to yourself, 
Do not come near me, for I am holier than you. These are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silent, but will repay. Even repay into their bosom your iniquities and the iniquities of your fathers together, says the Lord, who have burned incense in the mountains, have blasphemed me in the hills. Therefore, I will measure their former works into their bosom. Thus saith the Lord, as a new wine is found in the cluster, and one says, do not destroy it, for a blessing is in it, so will I do for my servant's sake, that I may not destroy them all. I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah and heir to my mountain. My elect shall inherit it, and my servant shall dwell there. Sharon shall be a fold of flocks and valley of Echor, a place for hers to lie down for my people who have sought me. But you are those who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, who prepare a table for Gad, and who furnish a drink offering for many. Therefore I will number you for, your, for the sword, and you shall all bow down to the slaughter, because when I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not hear. And that evil before my eyes, and chose that in which I do not delight. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, my servants shall eat, but you shall be hungry. Behold, my servants shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but you shall be ashamed. Behold, my servants shall sing for joy of heart, but you shall cry for sorrow of heart and wail for grief of spirit. You shall leave your name as a curse to my chosen, for the Lord God will slay you and call his servants by another name, so that he who blesses himself on the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth, and he who answers in the earth shall swear by the God of truth, because the former troubles are forgotten and because they are hidden from my eyes. God's response to Isaiah was that he answers prayer. And he does this in a threefold response. First, God declares that he answers prayer without partiality. Verse 1 through 7. Without partiality. Secondly, God declares his answer to prayer would save the remnant in verse 8 to 12. And then thirdly, God declared that he answers prayer in recompense or retribution, verse 13 through 16. Let's begin here with the first seven verses. God declared that he answers prayer without partiality. Notice that God does not answer Isaiah yes or no straightforward. He answers them in such a way that will reveal how vastly large his heart is towards a sinful people. God will not be silent towards those who respond to his words, he says in verse 1 and 2. God's response to Isaiah is that he does answer prayer, evident by the fact that the Gentiles will be saved in the future. That's how God answers Isaiah. Almost like Isaiah, are you kidding I answer prayer? Let me take it down the road a little long while. Let me show you who I'm going to save. 
He was sought by those who did not ask for him. He was found by those who did not seek him, he says. God's response to them was, here I am. Here I am. Notice God identifies the people as a nation that was not called by his name. The only nation God had ever known was Israel, the wife of Jehovah. You ever read Amos? Amos chapter 3, verse 2, he says, You alone have I known of all the nations of the earth. And Amos calls them to accountability because they were living as, as, as heathen. That's why chapter 1 and 2 of Amos, he makes them part of the judgment of the nations because they were living as the nations, not as God's people. And he says, you have the greatest responsibility and accountability because I chose you. I've only known you, no one else. And so to you is a greater judgment. In fact, he says, when I sent a drought, you just went some other place and got some water. And I did this and you didn't respond. I did this, you didn't turn. I did this, you didn't turn. And after six, seven things that he does there, then he says, prepare to meet your God. That means judgment. Who can be prepared to meet their God without God's preparation? No one. The only other nation has to be the Gentile nation here, the bride of Christ, the church. And so God takes Isaiah into the future and shows him how much he loves to answer prayer. Who it will be that he will answer their prayers? The Gentile. Notice secondly in verse 2, God will be silent to those who reject his words. God contrasts the Gentiles to Israel whom he has sought out continually, but they have not responded to his initiation. And God has stretched out his hand all day long to a rebellious people, he says. His patience was evidence of his love for them. You know as parents that you're very patient with your children because you love them. And you go the second, third, fourth mile. This is God. You don't want to deal harshly. You don't, you don't, you don't want to resort to things. You're hoping they turn. His compassion poured out his mercy on them in the past. The prophet is pleading for the same mercy. Mercy is less than they deserved. But they had used up the mercy of God. They had gone so far that God says, I I'm not going to answer that way no more. Now his power was sufficient, but their personal will was insufficient to yield to God. Why do I say that? Because if you continue in sin further and further down the road, year after year, then what happens is that at the beginning, you do have a certain amount of free will to say no at times. But as you continue to sin, you then you become a slave of that and you have no more will to say no. You break down the resistance. All of us, I presume, have lived long enough in the world to understand that principle. That once you say yes, you have just broken down your resistance. Someone may say, well, have you ever eaten rhubarb pie? And I don't know what rhubarb pie tastes like, but I've, I've read it on the Marie Callender's things. I don't have any intentions. Of, some say it's real good. So I never crave rhubarb pie because I don't know what it tastes like. Your description of rhubarb pie to me doesn't mean anything. It doesn't conjure up anything in my mind. But once I taste rhubarb pie, if it's good... I'm going to crave it. 
Now, I've resisted it for 50 years, but if it's good, <laughs> if it's good, and I go get some today, I'm dead from here to the end of my life. I'm going to eat rhubarb pie. And every time I eat another piece, it is easier to say yes. It's the way sin is. That's why I say his power was sufficient, but their personal will was insufficient to yield to God. Notice God defines the rebellion. They walked in a way that was not good. They did, they did so according to their own thoughts, their imaginations. In Genesis it says their imagination was evil continually prior to the flood. Nothing has changed. Especially with our high tech and everything else, we are corrupt. You have this walking perverts around sneaking cameras on their ladies' skirts, put them on the internet. Well, what kind of degenerate is going to be doing that? The degenerates of today. We, we, we've got high tech to be able to sin with. Now, Paul the Apostle quotes these verses in Romans to reveal the church age of the Gentiles. So Paul is God's commentary on Isaiah's passage of these two verses. There he speaks about how Isaiah had spoken boldly and he was speaking of that wild olive branch grafted in and the natural branch put aside because of the blindness and the hardness of heart in Romans 10, 20, and 21. Now Paul does this to point out that there is a remnant who is true Israel. And when the blindness and parties passed away from Israel, when the fullness of the Gentile comes in, then they'll be brought in. Romans 11, 25 through 27. And he ties Isaiah. So anytime you get into the New Testament, the New Testament is the commentary on the old. The old is in part in shadows. The New Testament is the commentary on the old, never the reverse. God clears, reveals, and confirms through the New Testament what he has spoken in the Old. Notice 30, verse 3 through 5. God will be silent to those who sin against his word. They provoke God to anger continually to his face. They lived in such a way that contradicted the law of God they possessed, and they did it without trying to hide their sin. Now, you know as a parent, when your child is living a way that you don't want to, and you confront him, but when it goes on and on and there's no paying heed to what you have communicated, to what they know to be true through the years they've grown up in that home, then it starts becoming an affront to your face because they are defying your authority in the home. And they are placing themselves as the authority of the home. It may even come to the place where they do it so brash that they could care less. And that's when actions have to be taken. Or there's no authority in the home any longer. It's real clear. Notice he says they sacrifice to demons in verse 3 there still. They sacrifice in gardens, referring to the groves of the fertility gods as we've gone through before. These, all these worship ceremonies were associated with, with sexual practices and, and pagan orgies and everything as, as a dedication celebration of the gods of fertilities. Uh, we still celebrate them today. That's the whole, the whole area of abortion. It's a worship of Molech. 
sacrificing your children for the sake of being able to go on and have pleasure without consequence. It's the same God. Notice they burn incense on altars of brick to their pagan gods. The altars were to be of no cutting stone in Deuteronomy 27, 6. God says, listen, when you guys come and you want to worship me, roll a whole bunch of stones up there and worship me. You know why? God didn't want people walking and saying, ooh, boy, look at that beam. Oh, look at that artwork over there. Distraction. That's why we keep everything real simple and clean here. We want the glory to the Lord. We want the attention to the Lord. We are nobody distracted in the sanctuary. That's why we don't have children in the sanctuary. It's beyond their ability to understand on that level. If you force your kid in the sanctuary, you're going to force them to hate God and to hate church. To sit there quiet as a child for an hour? How unfair you are. <laughs> Let him go to his classroom and learn about Jesus and the love of Christ. Let him grow in maturity. To a one day he'll want to sit for an hour and learn about God. The altars of brick were on the rooftops of the houses many times in 2 Kings 23, 12 and Jeremiah 19, 13. And they would worship in, in many eastern countries. And in Mexico, you have a, you're on the rooftop and you're, you're there for the evening at times like a patio. And this could be an allusion to the worship of the Queen of Heaven in Jeremiah 44, 17. And the Queen of Heaven in the Catholic Church is Mary. So the Queen of Heaven is still the same pagan female goddess. They just change their name depending on the generation they're in. No different. But notice also they consulted and they dwelt into the occult. They consulted the dead and the graves at the cemetery, even spending the night in the tombs or the crypts. Some of them attempted to raise the dead. The seeking of the dead is called necromancy. Today it's on the rise. Today the occult's on the rise. We have tarot cards, palm reading, everything else. We have one down the street here. Laughing all the way to the bank. You have them all on the television. The police departments, the FBI consult paranormal psychologists to solve crimes. Tapping into demons. Amazing. Deuteronomy 18. Forbid it. Verse 9 through 13. Isaiah 8, 19, 57, 9. And here it is again. He's coming to the end of his book. He's tying it all together. Notice they defile themselves with pig's flesh and other unclean, forbidden things of the law. So they were breaking the law of Leviticus 11, 7, Deuteronomy 12, 15 through 16. Certain things you could eat, certain things you couldn't eat. God gave that, and much of that was for hygiene purposes, for health. And we know today that many of the fish life at certain periods of time are toxic, shell life. So we see God's... But by the way, hospitals were, were, were not invented by, by pagans and by atheists, but by Christians. And the whole concept of, of good hygiene before examining a patient were, was a Jewish doctor. And, they, and because of Leviticus, you wash your hands. Prior to that, people were dying all the time. Why? Because the doctor went from one patient to another. God has his reasons. Notice verse 5. They were blind to their spiritual condition. They would say to others to stay away from them because they were holier than them. And this is the epitome of it. They, in fact, were smoked to God's nose and a fire that burned all day long. You can get so deceived in your lifestyle of sin, and then you have your little compartment of religiosity whenever 
you get into emergencies and you call out your, to your emergency guy. And, and, and God says, you know, you're like smoke to my nose, man. You bug me. You irritate me. And your practice is like a burning fire continuously. I mean, that's a vivid picture. Their lifestyle was an irritant to God. Notice fourthly here in verse 6 and 7. God will not be silent forever to those who reject his word. Ooh. Listen, many people feel that God accepts them, condones their lifestyle because God hasn't got to them. Listen, be patient. God has eternity. He'll get to you. God declares that it is written before him. He's talking about the law. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Deuteronomy 32, 34, and 35. God declared, I will not keep silent but repay, even repay into their bosom. This is God's answer to Isaiah at the end of chapter 64. Will you hold your peace? Will you be silent? No, not forever. The silence was due to their sin. He's already told us that in chapter 59, verse 1 and 2. God's hands not short that he cannot save. His ear heavy, not heavy that he cannot hear. But your sins have separated you from God. And he turns his face. The judgment is according to each person. Notice that. Their sins, by the phrase, into their bosom. Ezekiel 18, Ezekiel 33. God will not punish the father for the children, the children for the parents. Each person pays for their own sin. Yet the plea is, why would you die? Turn and live. Isaiah's interceding. God forgive them. And he's praying for the individual's turn. Notice God declared that they were the second generation to follow the sins of their fathers. Both their fathers' iniquities and theirs would be judged. Burning incense in the mountains. Blaspheming him on the hills. Therefore, they would receive in accordance with their guilt in their bosom. They had chosen to follow their parents' lifestyle. They had Chosen to reject God's life instruction. This is a decision for every generation. You and I have chosen. If our parents were non-believers, we came along, God ministered our heart, we chose to reject the lifestyle of our parents and to choose the instruction of God. Each generation has to make that decision. Now, my children have to make a decision whether they will continue to follow my lifestyle in the Lord or they will reject God's word and go back in the world. The ones who have the greater accountability are those who have been raised in the light. Always, to those that much is given, much is required. But by God's grace, I broke the chain of sin in our family generation, as well as my brother and my sisters. Now we'll see in the next generation, God willing, our children will choose to walk with God. We pray that they do. Leonard Ravenhill in his book, Why Revival Tarries, says this, no man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is plain. The people who are not praying are strained. The pulpit can be a show window to display one's talents. The prayer closet allows no showing off. Poverty stricken as the church is today in many things, she is most stricken here in the place of prayer. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers few prayers many singers few clingers lost lots of pastors few wrestlers many fears few tears much fashion little passion many interferers few intercessors many writers few fighters failing here we fail 
everywhere. We need to pray. We need to pray. Pastor Xavier Reese and the importance of ongoing communication with God. Be sure to join Pastor Xavier for the conclusion of today's study next time. But if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, you can always pick up a copy of this message in its complete unedited form. And the title to ask for is God Answers Prayer. For only $4, you can request a copy on CD. And make sure you share this study with a friend or loved one. Now the title to request is God Answers Prayer. Or you can also mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for including the call letters of this station when you contact us. This enables us to gauge the impact of this ministry in your area. What does it mean to be a child of the King? That's coming up on the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com